0: Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? Great. Like, really good. Nothing more exhilarating than a Sunday morning driveway shovel. Yeah? Everybody good? Everyone got here? That's nice. Kentwood, it's good to see you. I normally hang out at Fulton Heights, and uh, it's good to hang out with you. Fulton Heights, hey, friends. How y'all doing? Online folks, welcome. Welcome. I want to start today by talking about something that's been a part of my life for the last 29 years days since January has started. Uh, this is my star chart. Have you, uh, yeah, you're, no, I'm not like deep diving into astrology. This is a star chart. Uh, has anyone seen one of these before? Yes. Has anyone done one of these before? Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about my decisions. Uh, Maybe you've seen one of these in a kindergarten classroom or like your four-year-old has one in their bathroom to remind themselves to brush their teeth at night. And uh, I decided that this was something that I needed this year to make some better decisions. You see that uh, I filled out a couple things. It's actually something we're doing with our entire family. So my wife and my three kids, we each are filling out a star chart at the beginning of the week. Uh, and this month, I've chosen the same four things. Uh, read the Bible and do my rooted homework, which is a, a small group that we're in here at Encounter. I'm doing push-ups and sit-ups and no sweets. Although the first uh, week, I spelled no sweats on accident, uh, which it was all right. I, I was able to do that. So I checked all those boxes. <laughs> um, the fun thing is, we're doing it all together, and my, uh, my kids and my wife and I, were all doing push-ups as one on our list, so every day, we take like 10 minutes, and we do push-ups together, and it's this kind of fun thing that we're all doing together, and let me tell you why I'm doing it. Uh, maybe it's because I'm hoping to help build into my kids' life a little bit more of a disciplined lifestyle. Uh, Maybe it's because I like checking boxes and shiny stickers, Uh, but at the heart of it, I believe that the life that I want is built one choice at a time. Uh, The life I want, the life I want as a husband and as a father, as a pastor and a friend, it doesn't just start someday, it starts today, right? And the life that I see that I want to lead in my 40s and 50s and 60s, it starts today. Today, with the push-ups that I do or don't do, uh, the prayer time that I do or don't do, the sweets that I eat or I don't, what would be on your star chart? What would be some choices that you would want to make for the life that you want to build? Maybe your disciplined life is a little more sophisticated than mine. Maybe you don't need... You know, to check the box every day. Maybe you're surprised that a 45-year-old man needs stickers to to make some good choices. But in certain areas of my life, I'm just not above treating myself like a six-year-old to live the life that I want to live. And maybe you've found this to be true for you too. Uh, The life that you want is built one choice at a time. And maybe you've discovered that the opposite is true too, that the life that you don't want to build is built the exact same way. It's built one choice at a time. Sometimes we can spend so much energy building the life that we want to avoid, actually doing things that are not the life that we want. So how do we keep from creating those kind of lives and making those kind of choices? At the start of 2023, Jamie had some goals. She, she wanted to make some changes. She had some fitness goals in mind for the year. I hope to get healthier. But progress over these 29 days has not been what she hoped. And she's feeling that the choices she continues to make are not matching up to the life that she wants to live. Sean John imagined himself in a relationship, a significant relationship at this point in his life. He even pictured, you know, over Christmas bringing someone special home to Christmas dinner with his family. But he's bouncing from job to job, his apartment is a mess, he spends more time yelling at a high school kid from Puerto Rico while they play Call of Duty marathon night after night, he, he knows that he's not sure He would date someone like himself. If someone were to date him, he would be unsure about the life choices that that person was making. What would that say about what they believe about themselves? So he starts to think it might be too late to make the changes that he needs to make to live the life that he wants to live. Jess's roommate. Jess's roommate has such strong faith. And she's been through some really, really difficult things. Some family loss and tragedy. She's come through some extreme adversity in difficult times and it seems like she even comes through those stronger than before. And Jess wants a faith like that. She wants a faith that is unshakable, that's steadfast when difficult things happen. But if she's honest, She stops doing all the things that she knows that it takes to build a strong faith. Her spiritual life often gets the second best. It gets the leftovers from the rest of the life that she's living. She's building her life one choice at a time, but she knows that this is not the life that she's wanted. Even if you're skeptical about faith or Jesus or the Bible... I'm I'm glad that you're here, and I think for all of us, we want our lives to matter. We want to live a life of purpose and meaning. And I think that the biblical story of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, is going to show us how to get there. I want to set the scene. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn to Joshua chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, it's going to be up on the screen. Set the scene, Joshua is the leader of the Hebrew people. In the timeline, uh, the people were in Egypt. They were enslaved there. God wanted to free them. He raises up Moses. Moses is the leader. Pretty remarkable guy. Pretty remarkable story. After Moses comes Joshua. Joshua leads the people successfully into the promised land that God has provided, and he has led them for quite some time. This is at the end of his leadership season. This is actually his last address to the people. So there's some pretty, I think there's some pretty big stakes at what he's going to say. And he calls all the people together. All the people. Maybe you work at a big corporation. You know what it's like when there's an all hands meeting, when there's an announcement that all of us are meeting. You know something is up. Something serious is about to go down. So as you turn to Joshua 24, this uh, Excuse me. The section of scripture that we're looking at starts by collecting every person in the nation. It says the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials, every tribe. So we're talking all of us, everyone. Some uh, commentaries say maybe a half of a million people all gathered together, and they're waiting as Joshua begins to speak you know you imagine he is up in years at this point he's probably moving a little slowly he might take a little while to get up to the mic and he slowly says this in Joshua 24 Joshua said this to all the people this is what the Lord the God of Israel says long ago That's a setup for what we're going to talk about. Joshua's going to let us know that to build the life that we want to live, we need to do a few important things. The first is that we need to remember yesterday, we need to choose today, and we need to renew the promise. So let's start with remember yesterday. Joshua's famous last words begin with a history lesson. If you've hung out with some elderly folks, you know that this checks out. Often that's the case. Let me tell you some context, some history, so Joshua begins to go through the resume of God's work in the people's lives in Joshua 24. Verse two, long ago your ancestors, the father of Abraham, worshiped other gods, but I took your ancestor, Abram, and I led him. This is not Joshua, this is God saying, I let him out. Verse 3, I multiplied his descendants. I gave land to Jacob and Esau. Verse 4, verse 5, I sent Moses. I defeated Egypt. Verse 6 and 7, I brought you up out of Egypt and I brought the sea over your enemies. Verse 8, I brought you to this land. Verse 10, I rescued you. You need to remember what the Lord has done. He kind of summarizes this whole thing in verse 13. Look at this. I gave you land you had not worked on, and I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. That house you're in, That job you have, that field that you work, that road that you walk into town, those are not even yours. Here is what God has done. God's goodness is nothing, nothing that you earned. The people didn't work or sacrifice to make themselves worthy enough for God to do these wonders. The people They wandered in the wilderness for a long time. They walked across dry land in the Jordan River as God parted the waters. They often whined and complained, remember yesterday. There are 22, 22 instances of God's gracious acts towards the people just in Joshua 24 alone. 22 reminders of God's provision and faithfulness. Remember yesterday. Do you remember your yesterday? For me, I can't help but know that I see where I would be without Jesus. I was born to an 18-year-old single mom, born into multiple generations of divorce. Uh, My father uh, took off before I could remember. He chose a path of addiction Uh, jail. He died before I had the chance to get to know him. I grew up with little footing or stability in my life, but God provided a path. He introduced me to a church community in high school that showed me hope in Jesus. And beyond that, showed me hope in a people, in a place, and a purpose that I simply could not have found on my own. When I remember yesterday, I see God's hand of gracious love and provision for me. And I know that I did nothing to receive that goodness. I did nothing to earn those opportunities, to earn that community, to earn the grace that God has given me. I don't even deserve what I've been given, and I have not earned anything in my story. It's not even my story. It's his story. When you remember your yesterday, what's in that list? What's in that list that God has done for you? What has he provided? Where has he protected? Where do you recognize that for by grace you have been saved? And not any work of your own, but it's been a gift of God's generous love. Maybe this list will remind you of some things that God has done for you too. He gave you his image and spoke his love over you. He provided your needs. He protected you in times of trouble. He sent his son to pay for your sins. He defeated the power of sin and death in your life. He brought you up out of the grip of evil. He brought you to a place of peace and of grace. He rescued you from your self-destruction. Are there any glimpses of the work of God in your life when you remember yesterday? And with Joshua, look at this verse, twenty-three, fourteen. Focus on this. We're gonna leave it up for a little bit because I think it's powerful. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Deep in your hearts. You know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Where have you seen that to be true in your own life? So Joshua says, hey, we're going to remember yesterday and we're going to choose today. Choose today. Because remembering isn't enough. We have an opportunity then to say, what are we going to do with these memories of God's goodness? Takes us to verse 15. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Joshua doubles down. Hey, you've got to choose who you're going to serve today. And the implication that Joshua says is that you can't add God to the list of things you're going to serve. You can't just kind of scribble that name down at the bottom of that life plan. Like, you have to choose today whom you will serve. Or maybe you say, it, what will you give your life you have to serve something because your life that you want is built one choice at a time but the life that we don't want is built the same way we are always choosing we're always choosing and we're battling competing desires we have all of these desires and all of these choices coming into our lives at the same time We want to be fit. We want to be healthy. We want to look good. We have a strong desire for health, but we also have a strong desire for ice cream. These are competing desires, and we have to choose, and we are always choosing. So in your life, which desire will win? There's always a priority at the top of the list. Is it the one that you want to be there? Uh, Dirk Jerk led a great message series over the summer called Priorities, and he talked about the, um, the difference between the things that are important in our life and the difference of things that are urgent in our lives. If that's something you want to take a deeper dive on, go to that priorities message. He unpacks it so masterfully. And I love that Joshua's saying the same thing. And it, it's almost he's asking, What like what do you really want? Like Ryan Gosling in the notebook, what do you want? what do you, sorry, I don't think this is a rhetorical question, it's not a, he's actually asking like, what are you guys going to pursue? What will you choose? Think about it, are you sure that this is the life that you're going to give all of yourself for? Because it's not going to happen on accident. He lists the gods of the nations that the Lord has just defeated, the Amorites, the folks beyond the Euphrates, and he's basically saying, "Like, listen, nothing can, can really, nothing can compare to what God is going to do and has done. Nothing's going to measure up to what God can give you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have to choose, choose what will truly satisfy you." So we remember, we choose. And we also renew. We, we're going to renew that promise. So with that choice in, in front of them, the people, they explore their options. You know, they really mill it over. They really think about it. And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll choose. That sounds great. And Joshua is no fool. And he's like, no, you won't. But they're like, yeah, but we will. We promise. But like for real. Because we would never fall away. We would never We would never. But this isn't the first time that these people have made this promise. Joshua knows and we know that it also won't be the last. Because we as a people are not great at making these kinds of promises. So this is a promise that will have to be renewed. And at this point, I think it's important to mention kind of a detail that we've kind of overlooked in the story, Uh, and it's the setting, and uh, it's an important piece of the story. Joshua has brought together the entire tribe, all the people, we talked about that, to a certain place, and it's mentioned in verse 25 and 27. Look at it here. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem. He committed them to following the decrees and the regulations of the Lord. As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and he rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. It's a really interesting detail, two pieces. One, the tree is fascinating, but why mention Shechem? One, because it's a wonderful word to say, Shechem. Shechem is, this is not the first mention of this place that he brings them to, and I think it's on purpose, because it represents the renewal of promises. The first time we hear of Shechem, Genesis 12, verse 6. I'm going to read this list for you. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the great tree, there's another tree, of Mora at Shechem, and he built an altar there. Genesis 33, Jacob also comes to Shechem. After Jacob came from Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem And for a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons, the father of Shechem, he set up an altar there. It's in the story. This is a historical marker. The place is of significance to Joshua as well. Many of his first activities in the promised land happened in the region of Shechem. So good stuff happens at Shechem, but it also has a very complicated history. It's a place of sadness and fear. Genesis 37, where Joseph and his family lived when his brothers sold him into slavery. Genesis 34, after Jacob bought the land, Joseph's half-sister and Jacob's daughter was raped by the people in that region. Terrible abuse that went, um, Jacob didn't say anything. He kept to himself. They tried to avenge the action, but it was a dark, dark thing, and it kept its kind of grip on the family. You see that pattern of pain and fear, deception and abuse, like generationally creating this hold on the people. So when Joshua brings them to Shechem, it's not just like a random place that's chosen. The families know the significance of this location. After the assault of Jacob's daughter, Jacob tries to do the right thing but really he doesn't know what to do. He, he takes all of the idols that the family and the people in that region have worshipped and the jewelry that was designated to other gods and he he captures it all and tries to bury it. He buries it near the tree in that city, likely in the same, near the same tree that those people are gathered at today. It's a complicated history. The next time we hear of Shechem, uh, the name of the city has actually changed. It's called Sikhar. And it's in this region where the Samaritan people have chosen to live. And it's where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, a pretty common story that Kyle shared with us just a few weeks ago, on January 1st. And it's in this place, with its complicated history, that Jesus sits down with the woman at the well. A woman who is on the outside, a woman who is rejected, and overlooked a woman who is ashamed of her choices and Jesus makes eye contact with her and he extends his grace to her, his love for her, his care. He gives her hope and he offers her living water. In my life, and maybe yours is a lot like Shechem. It's like that kind of place. It's got some great parts in it. Some moments of victory and celebration. Some memories of promises kept. But it's more complicated than that, isn't it? It's also got some memories of promises broken. It's got some struggle, some pain. It's got some history that some days I'd prefer to forget. And that's in our blood. That our stories are complicated. That it's a mix of good and bad. So when Joshua brings the people here, he wants them to remember. Remember how God has brought you through these things. Remember his faithfulness. Remember that he's never turned his back on a promise that he's made to you. Remember that he brought you through the difficult times. Remember that he was faithful even when you didn't keep your promises. Joshua assembles all the people here in his final words. And he speaks the hope of God's goodness. And Jesus, in that same town, a better Joshua, offers that hope. Joshua says, hey, who are you going to choose? And Jesus says, I've chosen you. I've done the work. I've come towards you. I've sacrificed myself for you. I want you to choose me, but know that I've chosen you first, John 15 says, but I choose you, I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus has chosen us. So yes, choose this day who you will serve. But don't forget that Jesus has chosen you first. I showed you that silly star chart and it's actually been super, super helpful for me, like a little bit of accountability. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that the Christian life is not a star chart. It's not checking boxes. It's not trying to earn. I'm so grateful that God doesn't look up my chart to see if I've earned my way towards him, if I've served faithfully enough, if I've done enough of the exercises, because I would never have enough. It would never be enough for the holiness of God. He doesn't look at the Excel document. He doesn't look at the ledger. God looks at Jesus. God looks at Jesus and says, therefore, Romans 8, therefore now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has chosen you first. Will you choose the one that has chosen you? Because the life that you want is built one choice at a time. Let's choose the one who chose us first. Let's pray together. Jesus, we remember, we remember your faithfulness. We are grateful, we worship you for your goodness, God. For the moments that you've rescued us, the moments that you've shown your presence near So we we remember, God, we choose, we choose the one who's chosen us. We renew our promise today to follow you. God, we want the life that you want for us in Jesus Christ. Would we worship you now with hearts that are humbled, hearts that are grateful? Would you hear our praise as an overflow of our gratitude, God? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Hey Church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.